Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Oh, good evening. Let me just turn that radio off. Yes, well, good evening. It is uh, The Mission, episode 00000132. My name is Daniel James, broadcasting to you from the UNESCO-listed Radio City Docklands, which, of course, is on the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present, and I remind us all that this was and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you, Billy Shears, for an excellent episode of Double Bounce. I always enjoy uh, Billy when he's on the when he's on Double Bounce. Uh, he's always almost guaranteed to play a Crowder House song too, which is never a bad thing. Maybe Vaughn will be back next week. Hopefully, hope you hope you're feeling okay, Vaughn. If you're out there, um, a bit under the weather, I right hear. Um, it is the seventh of December today, and I thought just at the top of the show it would be a good idea just to take a bit of time to reflect on uh, a bit of our history that is uh, getting increasingly in the spotlight and deservedly so. Yesterday was the sixth of December, and it marked the anniversary, the eighty-third anniversary, of the Australian Aboriginal Aborigines League, led by William Cooper. When they marched on the German consulate in Collins Street, Melbourne, to hand deliver a petition protesting the treatment of the Jews of Europe at the hands of the Nazi regime. It is something that we uh, in the Yorta Yorta community are, are tremendously proud of. I think it's something that the broader Aboriginal community is tremendously proud of too, and I think it's something that is ga- gradually gaining traction as we move forward through you know various truth-telling processes and understanding what real history is. So just to put it into perspective, the most persecuted group in Australian society, suffering at the hands of a series of policies designed to assist what was then considered a dying race to actually cease to exist, um, actually going on and sticking up for another persecuted group on the other side of the world was and is quite a thing. How did it come to be? Well, there's multiple reasons as to as to why it came to be. Um, at the time, there were a number of reports in the uh, the former daily newspaper here in Melbourne, the Argus, uh, reporting that Jewish people were arriving in Darwin from fleeing the persecution that they were um, suffering at the hands of the Nazis, and they were giving harrowing details and accounts of, of their treatment. So that was something that was appearing in the regular news on, on a daily basis. The Argus itself has had a European correspondent that actually wrote a very lengthy report on uh, Crystal Nut, the night of the Broken Crystals, on the 9th and 10th of uh, November. Uh, some of you may recall that that was the evening uh, in which... Um, synagogues were burnt down, Jewish businesses were broken into, broken glass everywhere, people were rounded up. And that was really seen by many historians as the turning point in terms of the way that the people, um, the Jewish people were, were absolutely, um, you know, well, we know what history went on, goes on the talus, was absolutely appallingly treated and uh, acts of genocide were committed against them and other minority groups. 
So we had those reports, but um, coupled with that as well, back in the 30s, we had the Communist Party, which was, you know, one of the mainstream parties at the time and something that was gaining traction in the political movement, particularly here in Melbourne. And, of course, there were other left-leaning um, parties which were a significant, significant part of the scene. And, of course, they were always amplifying the stories that were coming from Europe at the time. Um, two reasons, because of the appalling um, treatment of uh, the Jewish people and other minorities, but also, um, you know, political sense, uh, communism was the arch enemy of uh, fascism at the time and still is, I would suggest. Um, it's a reminder that the Aboriginal community throughout history is always putting their heads above the parapet to help other communities and causes. And we've always been intersectional with that, and it would be good to see a bit more of that coming the other way, especially in these protest-filled times where um, there are a number of issues that are rightfully being protest. But um, let's not forget that uh, if you're not supporting Aboriginal people, then you're really not serious about the issue that you may be supporting, whether it affects Aboriginal people directly or not. And we can talk about a number of issues there, but I won't go into that uh, this evening. So just uh, if you're sitting at home, uh, raise a glass to uh, William Cooper, his contemporaries like Margaret Tucker, uh, his contemporaries like uh, Shadrach James and the rest of the Aborigines um, Australian League Australian of Aborigines League, back in 1938 for taking a brave act, walking all the way from uh, uh, William Cooper's home in uh, Southampton Street, Footscray, to the German consulate in, in Melbourne. It was and remains a defining act, and it's hopefully going to get the recognition that it deserves. Um, talking about uh, tonight's show, um, coming up on the show tonight, shortly we will be joined by the outgoing Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, Justin Muhammad. Uh, he was on. He was in the role for three years, and he finished up on Friday. So I thought it would be a good idea to get him on the show, and actually reflect on his time in what was a very demanding role. Um, and in the second half of the show, we'll be joined by no one but the other. Sorry, no one, <laughs> no one but the one and only uh, Uncle Kutcher uh, Edwards. Um, he's been part of Three CR's amazing Beyond the Beyond the Bars series, which has marked its twentieth anniversary on air this year. So we'll talk to him about that and a gig that he's got coming up um, uh, next week. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Triple R 102.7 FM, or perhaps you're listening on the National Indigenous Radio Service. You're welcome. And if you're listening to us via Kui Radio in Sydney, you are very welcome as to. Um, as long as you're listening, it's a good thing. Um, now, we're coming to the end of what has been um, another tumultuous year, isn't it? Um, and as one is the case during this time of year, it means that uh, a lot of people are actually finishing up their roles, you know, um, as they have been in over over the years. And one such case is um, our next guest, and he has done a fine job in that said role. Uh, Justin Muhammad is the, uh, was the, until last Friday, was the Victoria's Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People. Justin is a Gurung Gurung man, and we thought it would be a great idea to actually get him on the show just to talk about his time in the role, what he learnt, um, some of the experiences he's had. It's sort of a public exit interview, if you will, and I'm very glad to say Justin is on the line now. Justin, welcome back to the mission. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, how, how are you feeling um, at the end of your stint in that role? Yeah, look, um, it, it's mixed feelings. Uh, mixed feelings because uh, the time that I spent there uh, not not only was enjoyable in the sense that um, I got to meet so many of the mob here in Victoria again and um, to get around um, before the lockdowns all started. Um, and then obviously going through the lockdown period and sitting predominantly in my house um, working from a computer screen. Um, but, you know, this, this role that I um, that I had for the last you know, just three and a half years just over that um, has taught me just so much and it was just been a real honour to be able to be in that role and obviously to hopefully establish um, and build on what Andrew Jackamoff is the inaugural commissioner and for the next commission to come in they can build off that but it's been a fantastic time and uh, as I said mixed feelings are kind of there's part of me that's still there uh, but I, I know that it's time also to move on so that's where I am. Yeah, I think it'll take a, a fair while for you to um to, to wind down from from a role like that. What 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 surprised you the most about about the role? Um, look, I mean, there's there's probably two parts. There's the professional side of things, and then it's the personal side of things. And um, on the personal side, um, in the thirty odd years I've worked in Aboriginal Affairs, this this particular role. Um, has connected, uh, I mean, emotionally connected and personally connected to this role like never before and not not kind of downplaying the other roles that I've had, but when you bring children into the mix and our most vulnerable young people, it's very hard not to be emotionally connected with that. Um, so that's definitely a personal, which I wasn't expecting, and it kind of crapped up and there it was. And... Um, and the other part was um, the other part of the the journey in this role was the um, you know the, there's, there's so many people out there trying to do the best they can, um, and that includes departments and um, the echoes that we have down here in Victoria. Obviously, the carers, grandparents, you know, families, communities, and um, one of the things I, I saw that which I think can easily, well, not easily, but can be, um, you know that we can all aspire to is that if, if they all worked together, um, if that information and they kind of shared and they, um, you know, just communicated um, a lot stronger, the young people that have been in the middle of all that, um, which sometimes get lost with all the politics and different things and bureaucracy, um, they will just feel that there is, there's a whole, you know, a whole number of people and organisations that are out there that are wanting the best for their lives. But so unfortunately... Um, one of the parts that I saw that they the young people don't feel that because they um, they uh, occasionally and and sometimes too often fall through those cracks. So where's where's the dis- disconnect in terms of the tremendous amount of goodwill that's actually out there and getting some runs on the board in, in this space? Where where does that break down? Because you're right, it seems to me that um, departmental staff. Um, um, politic, there's, there's political will and there's certainly will from within the community itself. Mm. Where, where, where is it breaking down in terms of getting some of the, some of the outco- outcomes that we're striving for in this space? Oh, that's a really good question and, and there's so much, um, there's so many different, you know, I suppose, levers which can make, you know, a young person's life you know, that can change the course of a young person's life, good and bad. Uh, and I just, um, uh, I mean, during this course of my time in this in this role, um, 
I just, you know, I think that the more we focus on the young person directly, um, the more we understand where that young person is coming from or what they've been through and maybe what their future is and, and where their connections are, that's when we'll be able to deliver. Unfortunately, um, because of resourcing, because of timing, um, and I think I, I have to call this out, but... You know, these the systems that we talk about, you know, we you know, talk about child protection, talk about um, youth justice, they were never designed, they were never implemented or put in place to protect, to to provide initially the best for our young people. Um, mm. If we think back, you know, generations and when, when the first child was ever removed from an Aboriginal mother and father, it wasn't because of their neglect or, or the protection, it was because there was another policy in place. You know, um, law and order has often been for many Aboriginal people not a sense of protection but a sense of we we need to avoid it or, you know, we, we, um, it can actually bring trauma and, and um, it can actually cause more um, issues within a situation. I think that we're getting to a point where we're trying to reverse that, we're trying to change that, but we need to, you know, we need to acknowledge that as well. That, that's the system that was originally set up. And unfortunately, that's um, the, you know, I suppose the um, the legacy is still sadly being seen with the statistics that we've got here in Victoria across child protection. Um, and it's great to see that youth justice is reducing its numbers, but it's still there's a legacy of overrepresentation which we haven't quite um, we haven't got on top of, and we need to work um, as hard as ever to to um, change that. You pumped out a tremendous amount of work in the you know three and a half years that you were there. Just give us an idea of what what your office looks like. How many people um, are working with you around some of this stuff? What, what sort of resources did did that office? Um, have to assist you in your work? Yeah, like, so the, the Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, we're, we're based and uh, um, myself as a former commissioner now was based with, um, we are part of the um, the um, children, um, sorry, the um, Children and Young People's um, Commission and um, Commission for Children and Young People, I should say. And um, in that, the whole team, there's a, there's a staff of, um, approximately about 70, the principal commissioner um, and then the commission for Aboriginal children and young people. But in the team for the commission for um, Aboriginal children and young people, we have probably around about five or six staff at any one yeah. time. And, um, and you know, when you look at the overrepresentation in out-of-home care and child protection, obviously the issues that happen around education as well and health, um, yeah, our work is cut out, and it's not only cut out for our um, our area, when I say our area, the Aboriginal children's area, but also for the whole of the Commission when you're looking at, you know, looking at after or looking over um, all children and young people in Victoria. So it's a fair, it's, it, I would say it's a very lean sort of Commission in the sense of the responsibility that it has and the numbers of young people, um, but it definitely... Um, you know, really punches above its weight um, and tackles some pretty tough issues. And COVID was, a, you know, it just kind of put a magnifying glass on everything that was happening, good and bad. And the Commission and um, myself during that time and Liam Buchanan, who was the Principal Commissioner, we worked very closely in um, working with the departments and um, overseeing um, how our most vulnerable children were going through their pretty 
traumatic time for you know many Victorians and and Australians. It must have meant that um, your, your your team must have been pretty tight knit um, towards towards the end. I would imagine because you, you you're going through, you know, you're dealing with very traumatic. Um, uh, cases and information, and you're hearing these stories and you're compiling these stories. Uh, there must have been, um, uh, I guess, a bunch of internal support mechanisms that you guys developed for yourselves over your time. Uh, yes and no. I, I, I don't think. I mean, I, again, personally, I can't speak on behalf of every staff member, but uh, I think that we, you get into the role, you do it, and then there's a time when you go, well, gee, I need to look after myself, or this mm. this has really affected me, and that um that catches you out a little bit sometimes. And um to be honest with you, Daniel, I've been through that where you you walk out of a meeting and emotionally you just drained because um not not drained because you don't have enough in you, but drained because the frustration that you have with how the system can't support or hasn't delivered um, in providing that protection and care for a young person. And um, that's something which, um, yeah, it is a tough area. But um, in saying that, um, when you have good people around you and many people within the commission are so dedicated to the work that they do, um, it, it makes it all worthwhile because you form a, a you know, in, in, in a way, a type of a family. Yeah. And uh, especially when we were travelling around from, Community to community, doing our youth our way. Um, we we you know we used Aboriginal humour, obviously, um, and we you know had our opportunities to kind of debrief, talk about things. But you know, again, um, the work is fairly. Um, it, it's very serious. You got young people's lives, and um, it, it can be quite. Um, it can take a toll as far as your emotional connection to the to the to the young people that you're advocating for working with. Yeah. It's 24 past seven. You listen to the mission on Triple uh, R. I'm speaking with uh, former now uh, Victoria's Commissioner for Aboriginal Children and Young People, Justin Mohammed. He finished up on the role on Friday, and we're just having a yarn about um, some of his uh, experiences and, and lessons. Now, you, you mentioned um, the Our Youth, Our Way report, Justin. You were in the middle of going around uh, consulting for that report when when COVID hit. How how, how difficult did that make things? Um, well, fortunately, we got around the state before COVID. Um, we finished, I mean, I think COVID came in 2020 and um, and we had finished the community consults and the regional visits and a whole range of the one-on-ones that we had with young people in 2019. So we just missed that. And like, fortunately, we did because we would not have got the um, connection and the stories and the advice and the... Um, and obviously the recommendations that we had from community if, if, if we were going trying to do it online as we all kind of a bit more familiar with now. Um, so we're very fortunate in that piece. Um, but then obviously when COVID hit, there was the part of the report which once it was finalised, how we get it back out to the communities and um, and report back to the communities about what we what, what, how, how we interpreted um, what they told us and the rec- recommendations. And we unfortunately we had to do that all by online. We, we were very keen, and we had a plan that would go back to the communities and show them the report and show them where, where their region or their community contributed to parts of the report. But we had to do that online, and that was um, probably the best that we could have done. And everyone understood that. Um, but fortunately, um, we got around and spoke 
you know, the, to gather the information and the community consults was done just before COVID hit. So um, I count as a real blessing because, um, you know, as we know that we we possibly wouldn't have had the depth of information that we that we were able to grab hold of if that if we did it any later. Yeah, Zoom and Skype just simply isn't going to cut it when you're talking um, to people about some of their own trauma and, and, and some of the systemic issues that are impacting on them. You've got to sit down in the room and build a rapport and uh, eyeball people and, um, you know, build build trust, and that's just simply almost impossible via Zoom, especially for these type of type of things. Um, the report was handed down um, was it earlier this year. Yeah, it was. Um, we we they got tabled in June. I, um, if I, my memory serves me right, yeah, I'm trying to remember uh, too because you came on the show yeah. and we just spoke about it for about forty-five yeah, it was, minutes. It was tabled in June. Um, we've done a whole lot of presentations, um, both um, in across Victoria to all the different um, regions across Victoria. Um, we've presented to the Parliament. We've um, we've presented nationally, even internationally, um, about the report. So. It's definitely been received very well. Um, we're still, I understand the Commission is still waiting for the formal response from government. Um, and, and, and to be fair, it, it's not just one department, it is the whole of the Victorian government. And like anything, when we talk about, and one of the things that this report has taught me is that if we want to address overrepresentation, and in this case it was in youth justice, but any overrepresentation, it just it takes way more than one department to address that, and that's what we quickly found when we started writing it. And um, obviously, the recommendation spanned spans across a number of departments, and obviously the whole of Victoria. So, we're, um, I understand the commission is still waiting for that to come through, and hopefully, that will be received sooner than later. The, the formal response from government. Yeah, the siloed approach that, um, well, the siloed structures that uh, uh, governments, both state and federal, have set themselves up in terms of bureaucracies have always been at odds at the, the holistic approach that the Aboriginal community has taken to looking after its own welfare, how health and welfare. Um, so, yeah, these things will take time, I guess, in terms of flowing through to the various departments and getting some sort of coordinated action on it. Um out of your time uh, as as the commissioner, Justin, and now reflecting back on it, what is, what is the area of greatest urgency? Uh, look, I mean, in 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 the time that I've been there, and I can only speak for the you know, just over three and a half years that I was there. I think that there's an immediate change or urgency which can take place with or without any sort of additional funding. Um, or additional legislation change, and that's how well all the different um, agencies, departments, workers, everyone who's in the field of working with young people and um, their families, that they can coordinate their responses um, in a more coordinated fashion, not only across their local area but across the regions and sometimes across the state. And I think that's something which was that we saw right through our youth, our way with all the consults. The young people themselves didn't know who was at, at times didn't know who was, you know, looking after certain parts of their life. If they moved out of out of home care into youth justice, or they're going into school, or they had disabilities, or they needed medical attention, um, they, they never. They, there wasn't one form of coordination with that, and I think that's something which we could definitely, as a state, work on a lot better, as we would think with 
any children and um the, the you know many of our young people that we spoke to talked about having that one person in their life would make you know that consistent person or that one contact would make a big difference and anyone who's had that one contact if it's your mum or dad or your grandmother or your grandfather or an uncle you know how much that you know that that can make make your life so much easier especially going through adolescence and as a young person moving through that so that that's definitely one area the other area which I think um, definitely needs to be addressed and we've touched on it but we haven't got deep enough and I'll mention it on this show Daniel but mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier is that the um, when we talk about justice you know law law enforcement when we talk about education when we talk about child protection none of those systems have been designed and they were, they were, they were never designed or implemented in the best interest of Aboriginal people, usually the opposite to that. You know, if you talk to your grand, you know, grandparents and the generations where they couldn't speak language when they went to school, Aboriginal culture, and even in my time, wasn't celebrated education-wise. Child protection, the very first removal, wasn't about protection. It was about another policy about assimilation. Um, justice wasn't there to protect Aboriginal people is more about tech protecting non-Aboriginal people. And that framework is still, you know, potentially the framework that we're all trying to work off. And I think what, what I've seen in my time, we've got to try, well, we've got to get in there and start dismantling some of that framework and rebuilding it in a, in a, in a society which we are in 2021. And that's something which is difficult, but it needs to happen. And Addressing things like institutional racism, biases, you know, the do you see value in Aboriginal culture? Do you see value in a, a young Aboriginal family? Um, the other questions that need to be answered and we need to talk that out with all of society, not just the Aboriginal community, but the 97% of people that um, are, are, you know, make up this state of Victoria. Yeah, it's a, it's a reimagining of some of these systems that that is required, and hopefully things like the the, the treaty process, but um, in particular the the Uruk Justice Commission that was established during your time as a commissioner, and it's something that would have impacted on your work, Justin. Hopefully, um, and I'll, this let this be the last second last question. Um, how how did that process impact on your work? Yeah, look, I think by the time um, it was when it was announced, it was like a it was it was a great. Um, I think for most Victorians, it was really good. Aboriginal Victorians, especially, it was music to our ears to hear that there was going to be a commitment to address um, the past and obviously the and the present uh, in the Europe and Justice Commission. Um, by the time it, I mean, they appointed their commissioners. Um, I was kind, you know, this is it, it, it had had a lot of impact on the work that I was doing. I can definitely see in the future that it, it will be very much intertwined with a whole range of things. But um, at that stage, they were just going through appointing the commissioners, obviously set, setting up the office, and now moving forward now. But um, it, it is it, it, if it can be done properly, together with all the other initiatives that Victoria has with the assembly around treaty, the Aboriginal caucuses and um, forums that we see right, right across justice and child protection, education, et cetera, if they can all work in, a, um, in an approach with all, of, all the key you know, politicians, bureaucrats and the um, non-profit organisations, 
Um, we've, we've got a chance, and this is a really great opportunity for Victoria, I think, to get this right once and for all and show the rest of the nation that we can do this properly. Well, thank you for the work that you've done throughout your entire career and particularly over the last three um, and a half years. The, the, the burning question, of course, Justin, is uh, what's, what's next for you? Well, you, it's a good setup because you probably <laughs> already know. Um, I've, I've actually moved um, from the commission. I'm, I've got a, I've taken up an appointment um, as Deputy Secretary within the Department of Justice and Community Safety. Started there on Monday, my second day in. And um, yes, I'm going to continue what I've learnt through my role as a commissioner, but the many other roles. And um, moving um, and taking a role within the, um, the Department of Justice Community Services, I hope I can, you know, serve and represent um, many of the people who have gone before me, uh, but in more, most importantly, our elders and our ancestors who have, you know, fought this fight, fought, uh, fought this fight and um, that we can improve the status of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, not in the justice system where I am working now, but um, right across um, every area of um, society. Well, congratulations on your appointment. You will bring a very well-rounded view and a well-rounded um, experience uh, to that role. And uh, we wish you all the best. And um, look, we'll figure out a way to get you on the show sometime in the future. But uh, but for now, Justin, uh, take care of the Christmas prep, um, period. And, and thank you for your contribution, not only uh, to your role as commissioner, but also to this show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Daniel. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. To tonight's second guest. Uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the amazing Beyond the Bars series of broadcasts that happen every NAIDOC week. The deadly broadcasters over at 3CR take us into Victorians. Victoria's prisons and talk with First Nations inmates about their uh, lives and experiences both inside and outside our prison system. To mark the 20th anniversary, there is a podcast called 20 Years on the Inside. It provides a rare and insightful glimpse into the imprisonment of experience of First Nations incarceration over the last 20 years. Uh, First Nations people, as we all know, are the most incarcerated people on earth, and this podcast amplifies the voices of those who have spent time on the inside. One of the hosts of the podcast, alongside Vicky Roach, is Uncle Kutcher Edwards. Uh, Uncle Kutcher is a muddy, muddy man. He's a member of the Stone Generation. He's a singer, songwriter, activist, educator, ex-gun footballer, and a Melbourne institution. And in 2001, he was named NADOC Indigenous Person of the Year. And I'm very, very pleased to say that he's on the line with us now. Uncle Kutcher, welcome back to the mission. How are you, Daniel? Very, very, very well, thank you. Um, I, like, I, like, I liked a bit about gun football. Well, uh, well, I only know you were a gun football because cause you told me you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, uh, I don't like the term ex-gun football. Once a gun footballer, always a gun footballer. Okay, you? once you've got those stripes, <laughs> you've always got those stripes. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, but, you've been... Yeah, on a, on a serious note. Uh, yeah, 20 years, 20 years on the inside and you you reflect, you, you go back and you listen to some of the... some of the Marvin 
and you realise that some of the mob, and like you said, were the most imprisoned people per capita on the planet. That's that's an indictment on human rights here in this country, and it's hard to talk about, but it's a reality, huh? Yeah, it, it is, and you know the fact that uh, that incarceration and those levels of incarceration are still occurring in this state uh, that we call Victoria, you know, the so-called progressive state, as I keep banging on about, is really, yeah. really um, uh, an indictment. You, you've been involved in uh, the broadcast since they started. Um, uh, yeah. How did the idea? How did the idea originate? Who, who drove that, and, and how did it develop? Um, yeah, it was. It was instigated. Uh, can you still hear me? Absolutely. Yeah, it was instigated by um, uh, uh, Sean Braybrook, was the ALO Aboriginal Liaison Officer at the time. I think they have a different term. They're called Aboriginal Wellbeing Officers now. And uh, how can you be well-being <laughs> well <laughs> if you're in a in a in a in a facility doesn't matter what sort of facility but you're being uh yeah when we're we're in a state of affairs right here right now being mandated to do this and mandated to do that and but yeah the the state of affairs back then in 2000 and well the the conversation started in 2000 with Sean Braybrook and uh 3CR and he came he came and had a yarn to uh, myself and uh, uh, Jay Estenino, mm -hmm. who's now at a at another Aboriginal organisation called Dadi Manwaro, uh, and Juliet Fox uh, uh, still project. There. Yeah, she's still there. Amazing woman, fantastic. and. and uh, well, the the stalwarts of 3CR, are, you know, are still there. They they just keep on uh, advocating for us mob and and, and speak, not speaking for us but with us and, and no, letting us. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of 3CR. And I'm not I'm not having a go at any other radio station, but uh, uh, 3CR has this capacity uh, uh, to listen and, and listen deeply. You know, there's, there's a word of yorta yorta, gulp and yowl, to listen deeply, and, and 3CR do that. And I suppose any any radio station that gives Aboriginal people a voice, like like uh, Triple R and PBS and K and E and, and and the list goes on. But I just uh, think. I just think it's really important that we do acknowledge the the work that 3CR has done over the years. They were by far and away one of the first uh, radio stations that actually amplified Indigenous voices when you know um, when we weren't so on trend, hunk. And um, I yeah, think it's re yeah. really really important to acknowledge the leadership that they've shown in the space and the efforts they've gone to to make um, initiatives like Beyond the Bars um, as successful as they have been. Yeah, well, and then and then uh, there was four or five of us that sat in the the general manager's uh, office at Port Phillip, Port Phillip Prison. Uh, myself, uh, Jay Jay had left by then, I think, if if I, my uh, my memory serves me correctly. Uh, so Juliet came out, uh, uh, Sean Braybrook, and an amazing. Uh, amazing man by the name, you know, I'm calling this man who was the general manager 
of, of uh, Port Phillip Prison at the time, Kelvin Anderson. Uh, yeah, amazing man. And then he, 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 he in in uh, the conversation, he said, "Let's do this. Let's let's," because it was supposed to be just a broadcast, yep. and not 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 uh, the only person who was allowed to actually have participants, meaning our mob. Uh, in the room was me. Uh, there were there was shows presented prior to me getting getting on air that that just uh, did their radio shows from uh, the chapel at, at Port Phillip Prison. And then uh, once I hopped behind the uh, the jump the microphone, then the the. The uh, inmates, the mob, were allowed to come in and, and conversate, and it was daunting because at any time the the the, the broadcast could have been, you know, the pin could have been pulled and and uh, and the red button pressed to, and yeah, uh, yeah. So it was it was daunting, but the guys who were there, and and the reality is, Daniel, that over the years many of our mob. And it still happens, and it's sad that uh, uh, the mob, once they get out, but there, there have been a few that have have, have gone uh, to their dreaming once they get out. Uh, life yeah. is too daunting, and, and because inside, and I don't want to speak for our mob. Uh, you know, I've been institutionalised as a kid, but not as an adult. And, and um. Yeah, uh, I think uh, on the inside, because when they come out, and this is this was a sad indictment on our on our on society itself and our and our communities. When they get out, uh, they feel like they're nobody. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to explain. But when well, they're they, in they, there, they, they, you know, in, in in incarceration as a matter of survival, uh, inmates. Build a, a social network um, yes. around themselves. Yes. They they build um, um, some sort of rapport sometimes with um, uh, uh, with guards and some of the yes. administrative staff at the prison. Yes. And then once you're away from that and out of that into the the big wide world, all of that has evaporated. And there are so many choices yes. and so many temptations at yes. um, that at your disposal that. But there are so many, so yeah, so many bills to pay, so many, yes. uh, so many fingers pointed, so many uh, uh, um, uh, attitudes towards crims, so to speak, and yes. and it's it's yes. it's hard for our mob to to establish themselves as as important niches in our community because fingers are pointed, and and so they. It's 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 really hard to talk about because it, it's um you know and I see all my nephews and I see all my nieces and you know you 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 did this year's or was it last year's broadcast year, yeah. at, at Dame Phyllis and and so many and Vicky Roach unbelievable uh, person. Not yep. not just uh, not just because she's a woman, but she she took on John Howard when John Howard was denying uh, anybody who was serving over three years uh, the right to vote in in 
uh, in uh, national elections or state elections. And she said, no, you can't deny us the right. So she took she took the, the federal government to court and won. And you know, when, when you take on the establishment from, from the inside, it's an amazing uh, set of circumstances that she did that. And now she's, she's giving back. She's the voice, uh, not from 3CR, but from, from within who is outside now. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing... I sit and I listen. I, I just listen to Vicky and her wisdom and... And uh, yeah, and, and so you you know what it's like, Daniel, to 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 walk through the gates of 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 a prison, and and the world is different. It's a the very world different is, world. Oh, it's um it's, it's also very it's very daunting. Um, and mm. you know it's, it was especially daunting, I suppose, both both during COVID. And then mm. when you get through all of the, the various screenings and, and um, scans that you need to get through um, and mm. you're in um, a room alone with, um, with some of the inmates, you get mm. this fascinating glimpse into what is a real sort of microcosm of, of life. Mm. And, and some of the mm. questions that you get asked back in return are just so mm. fascinating because you get an insight as to where – people's mindsets are at, what where, where people are feeling vulnerable, where people are, are feeling strong. And, and and the broadcast over the last twenty years has just provided so many memorable moment, moment moments that give you an insight mm. into what it's like mm. to be an inmate, an indigenous inmate in, yeah. in some of these prisons. Yeah. It's just amazing. I um I'll tell you Jan, uh, I was at and and I, I don't know if I've spoken openly about this. I was I was uh, at Barwon Prison, and uh, uh, I think Johnny Johnny Mac nephew Johnny Mac grandson of the great man himself Johnny Mac Senior, yep. and Gilla son of Gilla McGuinness, and and uh, David Dryden was there, and and uh, and I got there. I, I'm, I'm a person who likes to get. I don't like being late for anything, but I got there a bit late this this afternoon, uh, and I got probably ten minutes into the broadcast. So I'm I've sat away from the mic and I'm having a cuppa, and this short short man comes walking up to me and he sits right beside me and he he's sort of really quiet and he, he's he didn't go. Were uh, to the mic and he didn't didn't want to talk and, and uh, but he sat right next to me and he goes he looked at me and he goes how are you cuz so immediately uh, uh, he's connected himself to somebody and I said uh, uh, how are you mate and he goes uh, uh, last time I saw you. You were on the mission at Bell Reynolds. You were only, uh, would have been about 12, 13 months old. And I said, so who are you? And he told me his name. And his, his mother and my mother are sisters. So he was, he was connecting himself to his mob in such a place. And, and, you could see that he was he was he was uh, happy, but 
he was also sad that the last time he saw me was the last time he saw me. Yeah. I can't can't even remember his 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 name, Daniel, but first cousins meeting in such a place. It, and it, it's, you know, it just reminds me of Yeah, of of the life, you know, of an Aborigine when you get to the T intersection in life you know, you have to decide whether to turn left or right, as adults I'm talking about. Mm. And some of us can, 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 in hindsight, make the right decision. Some of us get persuaded by whatever it is that persuades us to, to turn to whatever it is that we turn to. And I'm not judging anybody because I've been there, done that. You know, I'm 24 years sober, but you know this 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 brother, this cousin of mine, had finally, and he, he and this is this is what I talk about. I don't do it to pump up my own tyres, but as but as somebody who has come from where I've come from, the Murrumbidgee River, on the mission of Bell Reynold, to to travel the world. To do what I do, and and my dear cousin has clung, you know, has has seen me wherever he's seen me, either on TV or or whatever, and 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 has said to himself, "That's my relative. That's my that's my that's my blood there." And taken and that, taken a sense of pride in that for, for yes, a number in, of years. In such a place, around. in such in such a place. And that's that's what I see my role as being, Daniel, is to is to bring bring light in such a dark place, you know. Well, you do that, and and you've you do, you've done that your entire career, and you continue to do that. Yeah. Um, the the podcast is uh, twenty years on the inside. It will be available on any podcatcher that you like. It's um, amazing listening, and um, all strength to 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 that. But before I let you go, Uncle Kutcher, um, yeah, I'd be yeah. very very remiss to not remind the listeners that you are playing the Brunswick Ballroom on Friday, the seventeenth of December. Yes, next next Friday. It's the early show. Don't roll up after nine o'clock because it'll be somebody. somebody show else starts at playing. seven p.m. <laughs> yeah, Uncle so, needs his so sleep. Roll, everyone, yeah, roll <laughs> up, roll up to the early show. Buy your tickets on Mosh Ticks or go to the Brunswick Ballroom uh, website. Uh, and I've been informed by uh, Mary Mihilakos, who's the booking uh, agent there, that I can give away. Uh, a double pass to whoever, and you've got to uh, write the name down, uh, Daniel. Uh, yep. Whoever it is, a double pass for next Friday's uh, show. Uh, and I mentioned where I was born, so to people who were listening, uh, give the answer to Daniel off air or call up and and give Daniel the answer to where I where I'm from. And where I was born, but um, 
Leave, leave, yeah, leave, leave, leave a message at the station and uh, we'll get uh, make sure yeah. those uh, double passes get to you. Um, the the yeah. doors open at 5.30. The show starts at 7pm. If you've never seen Uncle Kutcher in, in, in concert, it is uh, something to behold. He will ask you to get up off your feet, so be prepared yeah. for that. Um, and sing, um, and sing too. And sing as well. Um, yeah. I've got to go. Um, we're yeah. at the end of the show, basically. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your continued work. And, um, yeah. yeah, I might be tempted to come along on Friday. Have a, have please a do. Please do. And, and uh, yeah, we'll leave your name on the door, Daniel. Beautiful. That's why you go under Radio 4, Unc. Thank you. All right. Thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. And thanks very much. And thanks to Triple R for highlighting uh, 20 years on the inside. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.